Hello you and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about The Little Mermaid, the 1989 film, with our great friend Eve Lindley. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall. The Little Mermaid is a 1989 American musical fantasy film. It is the 28th Disney animated feature film. It's loosely based on the 1837 Danish fairy tale of the same name by Hans Christian Andersen. The film was written and directed by John Musker and Ron Clements and produced by Musker and Howard Ashman, who also wrote the film songs with Alan Menken. We've talked about Ashman and Menken uh, several times on the show before. I think we've referenced those conversations in this episode. Our guest today is Eve Lindley, a great friend of ours. A friend of the show is a term that people use for folks who are, you know, friendly with the show in the same orbit. Eve is literally a friend of the show. (laughs) She's both Sarah's and my friend. We became friends uh, based on this show but we've we've all become friends we have a group chat we talk every day and uh i'm so happy that eve is here and becoming a regular here and on you're wrong about it's great news for us and it's great news for you because eve's the best eve eve's an actor a model a uh, creative person a artist just all around a wonderful wonderful person love 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 eve lindley Hey, are you in Los Angeles? Because if you are, you can come see You Are Good live on September 7th and September 8th. On September 7th, we are covering Roadhouse. On September 8th, we are covering Single White Female. We're covering these movies with our great friend Woody Sticks. Woody and I are opening the shows with this little show we have called Steady Bad Luckers, where we uh, tell you all about uh, folks afflicted with bad luck. And we will be talking about folks who are loosely related to the movies that we're watching. So we'll do a little steady bad lucker stuff. And then we will have a classic You Are Good live show experience. And Sarah will be here. So that's going to be super fun. Please come find us. You can find that info linked in the show notes. How's it going out there? How's your life? How's your world? Please let us know. You are good pod on the network formerly known as Twitter. You are good pod on Instagram. Love. I feel like Instagram is kind of where the majority of our interactions are happening. And you can find us on uh, Blue Sky where we're trying to figure out how to have a presence there. (laughs) We're just you are good over on Blue Sky because we got in early enough to claim our name. And hey, while you're at it, while you're out there on the internet, while all of the thoughts and opinions and ideas are leaking into your head because uh, of this here attention economy, don't forget that you, my friend, are good. They want you to forget that. They want you to forget that so that you'll uh, get anxious and nervous and uh, buy some shit you don't need. You just remember, I am good. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies is made possible with your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. You make the show possible. We appreciate that. You're supporting the show, so you get the show. That's pretty cool. You can say, I help make that show possible. I am part of the reason this thing is happening. It's because of me. And that's true, but you also get bonus episodes. Uh, We have a bonus episode about Sex in the City Season 3 coming out very soon. And if you don't like Sex in the City, or that's not your cup of tea, you'll enjoy our conversations regardless. I guarantee it. We have fun. All right, that's it for this week's introduction of you are good thanks for being here we appreciate you now let's go under the sea 
Hello, Sarah Marshall. Bonjour, Alex Steed. Oh, yeah, French. <laughs> Do you, um, have you seen any movies about the horniest girl in all of the 1980s lately? <laughs> I'm so happy you brought this up because I really wanted to point out how horny Holy our shit. protagonist is. She's so horny. I have been this horny. You know when you're so horny, you just got to flop around on a rock? I know I know that there are so many important things to talk about with regard to sort of like queer subtext and queer text and represent all. There are so many things that mm-hmm. this means Mm -hmm. and that I have known the movie her hair there's so many important things that this means but last night was the first time I've seen this movie in a very long time and I was like this is representation for like unbridled horny girls yes it is thank you (laughs) she's drunk with thirst and not to get too deep into it too fast but like people love to sort of bring up Ariel the protagonist of Little Mermaid the movie of which we are speaking as like an example of Disney's lack of agency and its heroines. And it's like, I don't think Ariel is making the most measured decision, but like, <laughs> boy, is she making it. <laughs> she sure is. <laughs> Who is. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that mermaid over there? The one with the beautiful curly hair. It's Eve. Uh, it's Eve Lindley. Eve, hello. I'm so happy to be here talking about this movie. I love this movie. You brought this to us. I did. Tell us about it. Yeah, this was actually a request on my part. I dubbed this summer Mermaid Summer. And I've just sort of been like vibing on a mermaid level. And I think it all starts with this movie because this is everyone's kind of first mermaid IP. Mm. My first mermaid. Yeah. So tell us, this is our second mermaid film of the summer our second mer movie if you will our second mer movie in splash came out the year before this so this was a mermaid stretch i think splash was a little bit earlier like 1985 or 86 oh it's 1984 so the 80s were just like a mermaid time and you know why because mermaids are all about extravagance (laughs) they really are well i was saying to alex last night that like part of what i love about ariel is that she's like kind of materialistic and most Mm -hmm. disney protagonists up until that point really i mean like cinderella wanted a night out she wanted to go to the ball but she wasn't like her stepsisters who were like very materialistic and like you know they allowed Ariel to just be like, I love things and I love stuff. <laughs> totally. And like the mom in B season, she also has an entire second home for all the stuff she's stolen. <laughs> yeah. She has like storage unit vibes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. The amount of time she has to have spent plundering sunken human ships and the number of skeletons she's probably seen. <laughs> it's a lot. She probably has the heart of the ocean. Oh. <gasps> She does. Before we go further into all these various things, maybe you could um, take us on a little journey under the sea, if you will. Oh, my goodness. Everything's better down where it's water. Take it from me. Yeah, hell yeah. Totally. Each little snail here knows how to whale here, you know? That's why it's hotter under the water. (laughs) That song is just beautiful euphemism for the horniness of the body. And I can't wait to get into it. But tell us about Under the Sea. Sarah Marshall. About The Little Mermaid, if you will. Well, I will tell you. Okay. So The Little Mermaid, for context, is Alan Menken and Howard Ashman's first work for the Disney company. 
It's post Little Shop of Horrors and pre Beauty and the Beast, if you can imagine such a time. It was 1989. <laughs> Reagan had just left office. George W. Bush had said no new taxes and then swiftly implemented new taxes. Ted Bundy was executed. It seemed the world was free from evil. And every <laughs> child born in the 80s and presumably forever onwards grew up watching The Little Mermaid, which opens with a... F it's kind of like Frozen. It opens with a song for boys. Mm. It's like, hi-ho the sea, boys don't worry, there's stuff for you to see in this movie. That's the song. It's a great song. And then we have this beautiful hand-drawn animation, very painted, very like dreamy and fantastic opening sequence following a little fish leaving the world of the ship people and heading down into the kingdom of King Triton, the father of like 10 hot mermaids. Triton has so many kids. Seven. Seven. He has one for every sea. Oh my gosh, of course he does. And yet they all live together. Um, they're really slacking. And... So we learn that it's the day of a really important concert for Triton and his conciliary, Sebastian, who I always thought was like a crawfish or something, but he is a crab. Yeah. So there's that for sure. And this is the, I haven't seen this movie in a long time and I grew up, I don't missing all of the text, not even subtext, just missing the text and thinking that Sebastian was just her friend and not her weird chaperone. Right. Well, that's what he felt like once he became a plush guy. Yeah. And then he's yeah, kind of exactly. a weird guy to have in plush when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, because he's a narc. <laughs> he's absolutely a narc. He has like one job. And I wonder he's if... He's a cop. <laughs> totally. Yeah, ACAB means Sebastian, too. Wow. We're really taking some stances here today. And I'm into it. Who is a crab? Who's a crab? Who is a crab? He's, despite the shape of his body... He is a crab. In his size. Eve and I were noticing the approximate comparative sizes of everything to everything else in this fluctuates in a really big way. Flounder is a tuna, basically, compared to Ariel. <laughs> He's so big. I thought he was a little guy. He's a giant fish compared He's to her. massive. And then Sebastian, like a quarter. He's like a little quarter of a crab that sleeps on her pillow with her. I know. He's such a small <laughs> crab, especially when he's on land. Although there are a lot of very small crabs in the world. Yes, that's true. I'm on record saying that. There are a lot of very small crabs. <laughs> he has a big personality. Yeah, he makes up for it. He makes up for his size with, you know, what he brings to the table. With his Caribbean drumming. Yeah. Okay, so when the chef picks up Sebastian, he holds him between his forefinger and his thumb. Yeah. So it's like, is he a motherfucking hermit crab? And like, what <laughs> is the scale of Ariel herself, you know? Right. Well, she apparently is normal human sized. Yeah, totally. We then have to use as a gauge for everything else. Which makes us assume that Flounder is like three feet tall. <laughs> Flounder is really kind of horrifying to contemplate if you really think about it. If, you, if he were an actual fish, he would be like, he would be such a big fish. Larger than the human head and like girthy, not flat, <laughs> not like long. Yeah, he's a fleshy boy. He's big. He's sort of more of like a manatee or something. Like what are his origins? I wonder. He's not a flounder. I think that he is one of those goldfish that went rogue. Oh my yes. God. <laughs> yeah. Right? He lived in the New York City sewer system. Because he's so puffy and he's got a little <laughs> mohawk and 
I will say, Flounder is a great character. I feel like he's put in there for little kids to have a character to connect with. And when I was a little kid, I had a bath time Flounder oh, who was plastic and a bedtime Flounder who was plush. I didn't have the bedtime one, but I had that bath time squirt out the mouth Flounder. But the point is that there's a big concert for Triton that court composer Sebastian is putting on, but it's all ruined because Ariel isn't there because in another relatable character element, she just forgot about it. <laughs> she forgot. She was just doing other stuff. I live for any woman who can like not show up for something and still make the entire event about her. <laughs> You know what I mean? She's the carry of the sea. Yeah, and she's yeah. Our, she, she simply forgot. And it's because she was so busy plundering a sunken ship, which is something she loves to do. And then she brings the stuff that she finds after a harrowing shark chase. And we meet her little friend Flounder, who, as we've discussed, is worrying to think about both in scale and in patterning, and goes up to see her friend Scuttle, Who's a seagull voiced by it's a mad, 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 mad world's Buddy Hackett, (laughs) which is exactly the kind of flavor that I remember growing up with in these like more 80s Disney movies where it was like, you know, who like not even your parents, but your grandparents think of as somebody really famous. That's who's in this. I feel like this was like the this isn't really it just represents the last of an era. But like this was like the last movie that would have like Buddy Hackett in it for kids. Yes. Like this was it. This was the end. Yeah. It was the end. Like I was just telling Carolyn about growing up watching a movie called Purple People Eater. That was based on the song Purple People Eater. Right. And this, but it came out in the 80s. So it came out like 25 to 30 years after Purple People Eater was a song or a phenomenon. And I believe <laughs> that it had Little Richard in it. Mm. And I was just like, there was a time when they were just like making movies for kids where they'd put something that just wasn't even related to kids in it. How do you think the worst witch happened? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who do you, who's the star of this kids movie? They're like... Tim Curry. And they're like, great. (laughs) Got it. That's just what the kids want. Take $800,000 and make it happen. (laughs) Get a castle. Oh, man. But like the Rescuers movies, the stars of those were Zsa Zsa Gabor and Bob Newhart. Oh, my God. (laughs) Zsa Zsa Gabor. Yeah. So important to be exposed to Zsa Zsa Gabor as a tiny child, I think. I know that this doesn't require clarification because nobody cares at this point. I care, probably. I did look up Purple People Eater to see who was in it. And it turns out Sheb Wooley was in it. Who I thought was Little Richard is not Little Richard at all. It was Chubby Checker. Oh, nice. Whoa. Regular sized Richard. And Neil Patrick Harris was in it. Neil Patrick Harris? <laughs> Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris and Thora Birch. Oh, no, Little Little Richard was in it as the mayor. Good to Oh, God, I'm glad I didn't misremember that. If you'd asked me, is there a movie from the 80s starring Chubby Checker and Neil Patrick Harris, I would say. <laughs> Probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You're like from the 1980s? Yeah, very probably. Like, I will bet on yes. Yeah. Eve was, we watched this together last night, and Eve was pointing out that It's so funny how if you just watch a thing in real time, you assume everything it does is modern still. But Eve was pointing out how, from a style standpoint, 80s coded this movie is from start to finish. And I really appreciated Mm. that because I just see it as the world as as modern as I'm watching it as like a seven year old. (laughs) So Ariel visits her friend, Buddy Hackett. And then while 
apologizing to her father for missing his special concert, Flounder accidentally lets slip that they went to the surface, which Ariel is specifically not allowed to do. And then she goes off and in frustration because her father doesn't understand her love of and curiosity about humans, she goes off and sings her I Want song, which is part of your world, which is just an incredible song. And it really struck me this time how quiet she's singing for a lot of it and how much you have to kind of hold back for the big finish. Have you seen the video? Yes, I love that. I love that video. Can you talk about this video? Yeah, it's this video of Jody Benson, who is the voice of Ariel. She's the singing voice and the speaking voice, which is like not really done later on. Like they always kind of have like, hmm. you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas do the, the speaking voice and then someone else do the singing voice. But it's this woman, Jody Benson, and she like is probably like, I don't know, in her 20s, in her late 20s. Mm -hmm. And they're just giving her these directions about making it quiet. And like, she seems to almost have a big belty voice that she's like working on like bringing it down and like not singing with her full power. And I love watching performers take direction. And she like, mm. she takes it so expertly. And they're just sort of talking about the song and talking about what's going on. And it's really beautiful to watch. Yeah, I really love it. And it, there's something about watching something that like, you probably grew up with and just kind of know is something that has always existed and seeing two artists collaborating to actually create it. Yeah, it is like, the alchemy of that is really powerful. I also will say, and Sarah, I feel like maybe you already know this, but it is the same exact song as Somewhere That's Green. Like, it's the same melody. Part of your world, somewhere that's green. Has this come up before? If it did, then I had forgotten about it completely. It's something that people have pointed out. That's right, because I remember at least hearing that when they were writing it, they were calling it Somewhere That's Wet for a while. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean... It's such a beautiful melody that I'm happy to have it repurposed in that way. Yeah. And it's, they're both I want songs that are about like a place that somebody wants to go, you know? Yeah. Right. And isn't like somewhere that's green, like the sort of new prototypical I want song. So why wouldn't you just make that exact song again if you can? <laughs> and it's also like, I don't know, somewhere that's green is so great because it's like about longing for American suburbia, which most of the people who then made that musical would have probably spent their younger lives attempting to escape. Right. Yeah. And the, kind of the same thing with Ariel where like she's so she comes from this magical place that's so exciting for us to see, but she just longs for these stupid humans who then like once she meets them, it becomes clear that like Sebastian's right and they just want to eat all her friends. Yeah, and I think also like I, I remember hearing that like the big song from this movie was like many people like wanted it to be like a romantic song between hmm. you know about him, about Eric, or like between the two of them. But instead it's this like song about her passion and like you know hmm. what she wants to do, where she wants to be. And I, I feel like that's like a cool choice. Yeah, I love that. And I love the kind of, you know, the classic Howard Ashman description of the I Want song, which is like, you know, bringing Broadway to the structure of the Disney movie as like, that's when our heroine like sits down on a garbage can or a grotto or a grotto. 
for uh i guess a field in france and <laughs> and we all fall in love with her yeah yeah and we all want her to get what she wants and yeah yeah and it, and i guess it works so well those three women are so linked, like Ariel, Belle, and Audrey. Yeah. Actually, last night I was talking to Alex and I was like, Ariel and Belle have always been my favorites. I don't know like what my princess trifecta is, but like... Mm-hmm. Audrey is your trifecta. <laughs> yeah, Audrey might be my third. It, yeah, totally. Yeah. And Audrey has the best love interest. Oh, so. completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anyone who has missed it, we have talked about this at length in our Little Shop of Horrors and our Beauty and the Beast episodes. Both of them with Dana Schwartz, I believe. Both with Dana Schwartz. So yeah, if you want more of this chat, it has happened. We're completing the last tong on the trident? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> These are the um, Ashman girls, you know? Uh yeah, and I love Ariel. I don't know. There's just like, there's a lot to her and that her character is defined by, you know, kind of longing and determination. And so after that, she goes to the surface and finds a ship. She looks into the ship and she, what does she see? Bunch of hot semen. That's what she sees. <laughs> Piping hot semen. <laughs> Piping hot semen. Fresh to her door. And then she sees Prince Eric. And something I kind of like about Prince Eric that this movie does is that it does not care about him and he's not an important character and we just don't care about him. We care about him because she wants him and we want Ariel to get what she wants. But like, I would argue that he's not even a main character in this. So funny that you say that because I several times last night to Eve was like, why is everyone selling this to Ariel? Ariel or like, why does everyone want this for her? And it was just like, just because she wants it. And I was like, cool, that's a great enough reason. Like, yeah, everyone is just supporting what she wants. And that's very nice. <laughs> sort of a novel concept to be supported yes. in your yeah. choices. Absolutely. As a woman. <laughs> and they're all helping her with her scheme. You need an entire neighborhood or an entire community of people to help back you if your father has single-handedly decided that the things that you want are bad for you. I know. It takes a village to kiss a girl. Oh my God. <laughs> this is literally the queerest movie in the world. Yeah. It's so... <laughs> it's just... A lot of found family. Yeah. A lot of gunkle. Yeah. A lot of twink fish. Evil drag queens. Yes. Mm-hmm. Evil drag queens, twink fish. Physical transformation. Bottom surgery. French chef. I don't know what that has to do with it, but... <laughs> Well, you know. It's very French. Rene Aubergenois is in the cast. <laughs> That's pretty gay. Uh, yeah, and so she she spies Prince Eric. He's super hot. Everyone's like, Prince Eric, when will you take a wife? And he's like, when I'm in love, I'll know. It'll hit me like lightning. And then the ship is struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> I do love like whoever wrote the script and developed it was like, and then it we're just don't think about it too much. The lightning comes in that moment, you know. Yeah. I wish the goblin king would come and take you away right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so the ship is like broken to pieces. Eric is valiantly is saving the other men. And then he gets like knocked out and is going to drown. And Ariel rescues him. He's actually saving his dog. (laughs) Oh, of course. That's much better. Coolest thing about it. Yeah. Everyone's safe. And he goes back to save the dog. And that is maybe why I'm so into Prince Eric. It's a really good quality, you know? And like, he's, he's very heroic. I kind of suspect he might be really stupid. Yeah. 
That's my primary takeaway of this character is there's like not a lot there and he's a bit of a dum-dum. Himbo. He's big himbo energy. But Ariel likes him big and stupid to quote Julie Brown. So That's great. And I love that. Yeah. And so she rescues him after he is injured trying to save his dog and she kind of deposits him on the beach and goes off and sings a little reprise on a rock while she flops around hornily. We literally see her orgasm in that moment. Yeah. For sure. Like the water. I mean, it's just yep. like. Yeah. That classic scene of her coming out and just water splooshing from the back <laughs> yeah. is an orgasm. And she also, and we, everyone kind of knows this already about the character design, but I really last night got the fact that her eyes are twice as big as any other set of eyes that she's up against, which hmm. just makes it look like, I mean, it, obviously there's a lot of benefit there to make your character relatable. There's a lot going on in the eyes, but it also just looks like her eyes are about to pop out of her fucking head at any given moment because she is ready to go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I wonder if it's because she spends half the movie like not speaking If they were like, let's give her just, I mean, all Disney animated women have big eyes, but hers do seem to be like, just so big, like Bratz doll. Yeah, (laughs) she's got Bratz eyes. And her bangs, her fucking bangs are just, I've spent so long in my life trying to get that kind of like flippy, swooshy. She almost has Veronica Lake hair. Yeah. Yeah, when I was a kid, like all of my friends, older siblings who went to prom around this time had like that big sort of like front wall of bangs that she had going on. And they all, their dates all looked like an extra from Top Gun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Girls in the eighties and guys in the eighties were doing some like really architectural things with their hair. And honestly, I feel a little bit, and like, the, you know, most kids are going to go through phases and be figuring stuff out visibly. But it does make me sad to think about like kids having greater exposure to like beauty YouTube and TikTok and stuff and like actually kind of nailing it from an early age. Because yeah. I think being young is your time to like attack with great commitment and not nail it. A terrible look that you can't execute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, something about, like, failing that builds so much character, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it builds style, because if you just successfully take advice your whole life, you never have to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And style is a function of character. Absolutely, yeah. I like a big swing, and sometimes that means a big miss, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, okay, so Ariel rescues Prince Eric, but she cannot be with him. A fish could love a bird, monsieur, but where would they live? And she goes home where uh, her father realizes that she's in love with a human. Because again, Sebastian kind of accidentally narks on her, right? Also, how the fuck did Flounder get that massive statue into her grotto? (laughs) Like, Flounder is big, but he's not. He got his whole family to help. (laughs) He's not that big. They all put their little noses under it. He's got friends. They swam as fast as they could. Dory from Finding Nemo was there and she was like, just keep swimming. That's how she got brain damage, actually. She was <laughs> injured on the job. Yeah. This is before the ocean unionized. <laughs> so yeah, Triton finds out. And in a very upsetting scene, he destroys her beautiful hall of human stuff. 
That scene really got me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was big. It was really powerful. They did a really good job. And I think it's something, I think it's really smart because it's like showing parental tyranny in a way that I think even a very young child really can get. Right. It was, it's violence. Yeah. And it's violence within the scale of a little kid's understanding, I think, too. Yeah, I, I, I was... I think affected more than I probably was when I was younger. I mean, I'm sure I was affected in a different way and it went into a different place, but I recognized it in a big way this time. Yeah, it's really, it's huge. There's also that moment where like after it happens where he sort of looks back in like maybe regret. And I feel like as a kid, that's always like, it's nice to like have that moment because you're like, you don't really think your parents like regret what they do when they're, doing something like that yeah but like what a dream to have a parent who's like oh maybe i went too harsh or something you know yeah triton is like tevia he has a beard and he learns yeah yeah it's also it's interesting how little we see of mermaid society in this movie we see like the ariel family and the ursula thing and then what else is going on do they have malls do they have schools do they have taxes do they have public parks (laughs) do they garden do they drive there was like a Little Mermaid TV show that was like Ooh. meant to be like her time under the sea before she like met Eric. And I don't really remember much of it, but I think it was sort of like her going to school and her like, you know, being a hot bitch from the 80s, but young. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to watch like effectively <laughs> Saved by the Bell, but the main character is Ariel. Totally. <laughs> yeah, she's Absolutely. Kelly Kapowski. Yeah. She is. Kelly Kapowski. She is Kelly Kapowski. Absolutely. The bangs are Kelly Kapowski. She is Kelly Kapowski. The bangs and the eyes. Yeah. Kelly also had huge eyes. Oh my God. Ariel is Kelly Kapowski. (laughs) Confirmed. So Ariel is Kelly Kapowski (laughs) is the point of all this. And it's true. (laughs) And I guess, yeah, I would love to see more of her just like bopping around under the ocean before her life got so high stakes. Yeah. But basically what happens is that she's in a bind And when she's at her lowest, the pets slash assistants of the sea witch, Ursula, Flotsam and Jetsam, who are eels, are like, hey, Ariel, we got a deal for you. And so Ariel goes to see Ursula, where we have our extremely memorable song, Poor Unfortunate Souls. And Ursula is like, here's the deal. Like, you give me your voice. And if you can go without being able to talk and like get have I'll give you legs. And if you can get the prince to fall in love with you in three days, then like you're good and you can stay human forever. But if you don't, then I'll put you in my garden of lost souls of little shriveled little guys, like succulent stems. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really interesting thing. And that, like, she has the deal. This felt like the closest Disney could get to criticizing capitalism ever in its Hmm. entire time. Aside from Newsies. Aside from Newsies. Because she's, like, pitching this deal in a really interesting way where it's out in plain sight what happens to everyone who makes the deal, which Mm -hmm. is you turn into, like, a shriveled ghoul Mm -hmm. whose soul is committed to the, quote, evil sea witch. And, like, no arms and, like, rooted in the ground. Yeah. Really weird. It doesn't, like, you see, and they have this really great part where you see, like, the, like, people living their idea of the promise and then eventually like they become sort of like shriveled and they no longer have their souls. And, you know, 
we've all been in that situation where we know that it's more likely than not that we're going to turn into one of the shriveled souls, but the promise sounds so good. But we're like, but I really want legs for 60 hours. Totally. Yeah. And I can convince him and true love will work. It's all going to work. It's like a real gamble. And I, I appreciated this Faustian bargain more than I have in the past. Oh, it is Faustian. This is the Faustian bargain. She has to make a Faustian bargain. Yeah. I, okay. I'm going to say my most controversial opinion maybe ever, which is that, okay, to foreground this, I'll say 25 nice things. I appreciate all the life that Ursula has had since she debuted as a character. I love the origins of her. I love that her character design is based on Divine. I love the voice by Pat Carroll. I love Poor Unfortunate Souls and people should listen to the like demo version on the album Howard Sings Ashman because I think it is actually better than the version in the movie. I love the way she like drags herself on land and her like octopus bottom. (laughs) (laughs) I love her massive big titties. I love those too. Her tits are doing work throughout this entire movie in a great way. Beautifully drawn back and shoulders as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to enjoy about Ursula. However, anytime someone tries to make an argument about how Ursula, when you think about it, is not that evil of a character because she really just has it out for Triton. And so it's part of a larger game. And we don't know that Triton is ruling the ocean justly. So when you think about it, Ursula, maybe she's great. And I... No, Ursula is a bad egg, and that's my feeling on the matter. She approaches people when they are at their emotional low point. She's like a bail bondsman. (laughs) She's also negotiating a contract with a 16-year-old. Right. I No, I agree. I think what a a lot of people are often trying to do, I was just just having a similar conversation about this to where people will talk trash about podcasting because it's like the idea that you make friendship into a job Mm. kind of. (laughs) Well, what else is one supposed to make into a job? Their skills? That won't work. Exactly. Exactly. As I think the criticism is actually sort of about like how we all have to like make a living, not the fact that like people have found a way in order to do it. So like similarly here, I think what happens is people very rightfully have beef with queer coding of villains. Mm -hmm. They don't know exactly what to do with it. And so they're like, let's uh, give her the benefit of the doubt. And it's like, no, she is a villain. She's doing bad stuff. Should villains have to be queer coded in order for us to get the fact that they're villains? You know, Carmen talks about this Mm -hmm. and her book in the dream house in a really beautiful way and it's like you can understand intellectually all of the ways that they're villains but still fucking love them Mm -hmm. because like you love the queerness of them but it doesn't make their actions any less villainous right and we can love her aesthetics without embracing her ethics i like have never heard somebody try and justify her actions which is kind of it's shocking to me that you guys are saying there's a bunch of people who are this might be, you know what, Eve, this might be from Tumblr times. Mm. It's a little bit from uh. Tumblr times for sure, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there is also like wicked sort of ruined mm-hmm. villainy in general. And I, I love wicked, but like it's like not every villain has to be understood and they can just be like evil. Yeah, it's like, I, I mean, I think that I, I really, I enjoy Ursula aesthetically so much. I think the character who I vibe with more is Scar from The Lion King because I'm just. Oh, oh sure. yeah have always vied with Jeremy Irons. And that doesn't mean I have to like his approach to ruling. We know he wasn't uh, 
didn't do a good job but like boy is he fun to watch be gay yeah it's so many like famous gay coded disney villains like jafar i think i heard somewhere like maybe even on this very podcast from one of your esteemed guests that like Disney villains are coded as queer because queerness is like a threat to the American family. And so like mm. what could be more subconsciously scary to a kid totally. and a parent than like a big old gay guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then I think what's great about it is that they get to have this extended life where they become like the most beloved part of the movie or the part that's the most fun to watch. Like I would say, especially with the Lion King, the scar parts are more fun than everything else by like quite a distance for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the case just also textually and not by coincidence with any movie that has Jeremy Irons in it, period. It's just like Jeremy Irons (laughs) will show up three times as hard as the text that he's in. (laughs) Yeah, because Sonny hated doctors. (laughs) So... Anyway, what's uh, the Little Mermaid about? So Ariel does her bargain, and because she is just a little mermaid, she doesn't realize how unfair this is, and she's under duress, and her dad has just wrecked her stuff, and so... So she signs up for her first credit card. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> yeah. At 16. Ursula's like, hey, girly, I feel like you really enjoy doing some direct sales. Yeah, oh boy, can you get all the dingle hoppers in the world when you're out there, <laughs> you know? And so she gets her legs. And so she ends up on land. And what's funny, too, to me about this movie is that we are now 45 minutes into the movie. We only have half an hour left to do what many of us think of as most of the movie. Yeah, that is right. true. Which is just funny. And so then we have basically Ariel. She finds Prince Eric. She can't speak. She needs to get him to fall in love with her. But he, because he's a fucking idiot, doesn't realize that she's the beautiful woman who saved him. And of course, while Sebastian is running around trying to not get eaten and Ariel is trying to get kissed, Ursula has stolen Ariel's voice and is using witch magic to slim down, even though we all agree that she looks her best in her normal form and to walk out of the ocean and get Eric to marry her. Vanessa. Vanessa. And so we are heading for a wedding. And then at the wedding, all the creatures of the ocean like appear and attack Ursula to like stop her from marrying Prince Eric before the sun sets. But Ariel doesn't get kissed. And so Ursula gets her soul still. And then she's like, all right, Triton, Ariel is merely a pawn in my plan to get you to sign over your soul and let me become the ruler of the entire ocean which that happens. And then she gets to be in charge of the ocean, but she's only in charge for like 30 seconds because then Prince Eric steers the ship into her and actually like impales her on the ship, which I don't think he's going fast enough to do that, but it's pretty cool. Also, the ship has theoretically been at the bottom of the ocean. So it's like, oh yeah, how like strong is it? But whatever. He kills her. Right. How structurally sound. But whatever. Yeah, he gets her. He constructs a giant poking device. And then she dies and Trident puts his crown back on and resumes his normal daddy size. And then he's like, 
I've I've had time to think about some stuff, and I'm going to give Ariel legs, which it turns out I had the power to do this whole time. Surprise! And then I'm going to send her off. I'm going to let her kiss her little fish friend goodbye, and then she's going to marry Prince Eric, and I'm just never going to see her again. Even though I was like, wait, Trident has the power to give her legs. He probably has the power to give her a tail again, so they can just visit for Christmas and he can just like drag himself up on the beach and be like zip zap and give them both tails. Yeah, visit home for a week, you know. I mean, that would be nice. Yeah, go to the mermaid outlet mall. And that's the end of the movie. And it's this big triumphant trident makes a big rainbow aerial. Gay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, there's there's dicks in the original VHS art because of apparently a, a disgruntled classic. artist or something. Gay. And that's the end of our gay little movie. And then we play... Uh... Newsflash, dicks are gay. <laughs> <laughs> Every dick is gay. This is an absolute aside, but the reason why there is any space between Splash and this is that this concept was brought before Katzenberg right after Splash came out. And he was like, too close to Splash. Hmm. Let's do something else. And they did the Great Mouse Detective in the meantime. And then by the time that was out, he was like... It's time for the mermaid movie. Jeffrey Katzenberg, the five-dimensional chess player who more recently brought us all Quibi. (laughs) Cats and Quibi. They also were going to make Ariel blonde, and then they were like, we can't make her blonde because we already have a blonde mermaid in the family. Madison. Madison, yeah. Yeah. It'd be great if Ariel and Madison got to do something together. I would like to see like a Into the Mermaid verse. This movie is shit if she has blonde hair that's so true (laughs) i do think the red there's something about the the primary red against the like purple and the green that are it's just very satisfying because her hair would have been yellow you know if if she were blonde and there's something about the red that is totally extremely like appealing it speaks to her Aries tendency, even though she is of the water. Yeah, I mean, she's so hot-headed. She's so, totally. like... And horny. She's so horny. She's so hot-headed. She is an Aries. You know, I was t- saying this before, that she's, like, materialistic. And, like, she's all these things that we almost, like, don't think, like, a Disney character, and certainly not a princess, should be. Where it's, like, she literally, like, drops her bag of goodies and the shark is coming. She turns around, swims back, and gets it. Because she's like, I want this shit. Like, I did not come all the way out here to not go home with a dinglehopper. And she's sort of a brat. Like, she doesn't listen. And I love that Ariel gets to, like, exist in a place where she's, like, you know, when she says, I'm 16 years old. Like, I now am, like, girl, like, listen to your dad. (laughs) Like, right? you know, like. Just wait until you're 18 and then you can go wherever you want. I also, I feel like you could have a sequel where it's like literally five minutes pass from the ending of the first movie and Ariel and Prince Eric have their first conversation and she realizes (laughs) that they're actually not compatible. And it would be so fun to have like an Into the Woods (laughs) Little Mermaid sequel about like, you know, everybody having to then like deal with the that's what's so great about end of the woods i feel like there's not enough media although there's probably more lately about like dealing with the consequences of getting the thing you wanted right right i think part of the reason people shouldn't marry their high school sweethearts (laughs) beyond every other obvious reason is for like 10 years after school everything is dangerously close to being defined by 
at least this is not my dad <laughs> or at least this is not the guy who I went to high school with or at least this is not whatever. And like it takes a long time to start figuring stuff out about yourself to find who makes sense in context of what your actual needs are. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we've been joking, but also not joking about Ariel's sort of abject thirst throughout this is so much of it is not about the target of her affection. So much of it is, this is not the oppression of my father. Mm. Yeah. And that's what she's moved by. Right. And like this love feels like freedom because it's right. by definition in a world outside of my father's reign. Exactly. Right. And it's not just like her father isn't just a man. He is the king of the ocean. So it's like <laughs> to be anywhere in the ocean is to sort of be under his reign. Totally. You know, there was before this like recent Disney movie, the remake came out. Sophia Coppola was going to direct a Little Mermaid movie that was going to be like Ooh. a little darker, I think, and like maybe more based in the Hans Christian Andersen version. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was such a good fit because mm -hmm. to me, Sophia Coppola is always doing like movies about women who are like, you don't think that they're like just normal modern women, but then she like makes you think that like Marie Antoinette was just like a bored gal that like you could kind of relate to, you know, like I would have loved, you know, Ariel full of ennui and like just sort of like yes. walking on the beach and being like, uh Ariel the Xanax years. Yeah. I wish it was called Ariel, comma, full of ennui. <laughs> yeah. Like Maria full of grace. Uh, Eve, why why this movie? Well, I mean, I think I'm not the first person to say this. Like, a lot of people see, like, queer allegories in Mermaid IP. And I always felt it in this movie. There's so many queer themes in general. But I think, for me, it's like, you know, trans women love mermaids. <laughs> and I think it, I guess it has to do with, like... In the case of Ariel, it's like, you know, you have this disapproving family at home who, like, is telling you you're one thing and you never waver in your knowledge that you are something else. Mm -hmm. And so you go out and get it maybe without the support of your family and it can be dangerous and it can be like you get yourself into some trouble and then, like, hopefully if you're lucky, ultimately you get the support of your family. And yeah, I just... I wanted to talk about that. I felt like it was something, again, it's not something that I made up. I mean, everybody kind of mm -hmm. knows this now. Well, not, I mean, there's the, I feel like the idea could reach yet more saturation and I'm happy that you're doing that. And also I wonder, are there like, but like moments within this movie that to you personally, like make you feel that? Yeah. I mean, I think truly like, you know, Ariel and Eric have, like, a love that must overcome obstacles and, like, the obstacles being that they are, like, from different worlds, which is sort of, like, like every mermaid story. I mean, most mermaid stories are kind of similar, you know? Like, it's about a girl and she's a free spirit and she, like, meets a guy and she, like, is shamelessly in awe of the world around her and, like, she is sort of a shameless sexuality to her and traditionally in mermaid stories, the mermaid does not get the guy. The guy has to get, you know, has to end up with somebody who lives in his world. But she like maybe is there to 
kind of help him through a midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis or like, I mean, mermaids are the original manic pixie dream girls in a way, (laughs) you know? Truth. Yeah. Like mermaids are kind of a cousin to Venus and Aphrodite, these sort of like goddesses of like love and like fertility and stuff. So these girls are used in stories to like bring about love, but not love that they can participate in. Hmm. because they ultimately must like return to the sea. Yeah. I think the the little mermaid and probably Splash because in Splash doesn't Tom Hanks return to the sea with her. Right. Yeah, which I love. Yeah, the Splash was like weirdly refreshing in a way I didn't expect it to be, where like he takes the plunge, if you will. Yeah, he makes the sacrifice as opposed to Ariel right. who has to sacrifice like her culture, so to speak. Right. Which I was like, huh, that's, again, refreshing for a movie made in 1984. I know. To come before this, Splash feels like it's in conversation with this movie. It's crazy that it came before, you know? Yeah. And the original Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen, she just dies at the end, right? She becomes a spirit. Yeah, she, like, she goes up to, like the sun or something like that. And basically they're like, Oh, you could do good deeds for 300 years and then you (laughs) might get a soul and then you'll be able to be in heaven. And it's like, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) After she like basically is tortured the whole time she's on, on land, you know? Right. There's like a thing about how like, it's like really actually very painful for her to walk. Right. It's like walking on knives. Yeah. And the prince loves to watch her dance. And so she dances for him, even though it is like excruciatingly painful. Uh, Yeah. Which is like so on the nose about (laughs) just being into a man. Yeah. Well, and there's like, you you paired this and like the steadfast tin soldier by Hans Christian Andersen, which is about a tin soldier who pines for a ballerina. And then he falls out a window and is swallowed by a fish and like through the circuitous route magically ends up at the same house where he first fell in love with the ballerina. And then I think they're both thrown in a fire and are burnt up dead. Of course. And then I forget the name of it, but there is an Oscar Wilde story about like a sparrow who is in love with this beautiful youth who wants to declare his love to a girl he has feelings for and needs a red rose for her, but only has white roses. And so the bird like pierces her breast on the rose bush and like pumps all of her lifeblood into the rose and dies. And then the youth is able to give it to the girl he loves who just kind of like casually tosses it aside because she doesn't want it. And then you like grow up and realize that like, these are the love stories written by people about the love that dare not speak its name. Right. Right. And just like the like intensity of, of gay tragedy in any of these stories just makes you think like, God, just give her what she wants. It's justice of some kind. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think this story, maybe why it like the DNA of it just feels queer. Like even if you take away like Ursula is divine and like the kooky gunkle energy from Scuttle and Sebastian (laughs) is probably because Hans Christian Andersen was likely a queer person. And he like, he wrote this story like after somebody he was in love with got engaged to a woman. And, you know, I think it's like where he put all of that energy that you're talking about. Right. And it's like to be allowed to love, it'll feel like violence. 
And then once you're even given that, you will be in some sort of purgatory. And then maybe you'll be able to transcend. It's like it's laden with these physical manifestations of guilt and shame and longing. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I had two Little Mermaid VHSs, and one was this one. And then the other one was the fairy tale theater Shelley Duvall Little Mermaid episode, which has an insane cast. Like Helen Mirren plays. The other woman that Eric mm. ends up marrying, Eric is played by like Treat Williams. They they all have like <laughs> different names. They're not, you know, it's not Ariel and Eric. Treat Williams is always a treat. A total treat. A snack, if you will. <laughs> and what was interesting about like having these two VHSs was like in the fairy tale theater one, she does become Seafoam. She can't kill him. Like her sisters make a deal with the sea witch and they're like, how can we get her back to being a mermaid? And the sea witch is like, if she could kill the guy and his blood falls on her feet, then she could be a mermaid and all her pain will go away. And so her sisters like bring her the knife. They're like, you got to do this. And she still doesn't do it. And so like, I don't know. I think as a kid, I can't say that I preferred that one. Like I did sort of like it when the little mermaid got the guy, but (laughs) there was something like sort of, equally compelling to me about this woman who like, even though he didn't love her back, she wasn't going to like wish him ill. You know, she Mm. was just, she just was like, I made this irreversible decision and I'm the one who like has to suffer the consequences, I guess. Yeah. So much of the plight, right. Faced with the canonical little mermaid or the little mermaid here or Audrey or whoever is like the I want to be part of their world is just like about agency, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I want to have any agency to transcend what people say I will ultimately end up with. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to like not live in a particular kind of housing. I want to be able to like choose who my partner is going to be. And like that could work just like on the basic like transcendence of class from like a transcendence of class place to just being like, I want to be allowed to love the people who I love without fearing isolation from society or murder or or death or whatever and so much of those plates are sort of articulated in the songs or in the yearning to the point where like it ultimately kind of bums you out that you know in order to get that you have to trade your culture trade your family trade your everything mm-hmm. yeah and live with people who want to eat your friends Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. We yes, were yes, watching yes, yes, it yes, last yes, night. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. during the Les Poissons song, Alex looked over at me and was like, so this is sort of like a house of a thousand corpses situation. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It literally is. And may I also point out, why even eat Sebastian if he's such a tiny little crab? There's I know. No, he's not worth let it. Let him live. It's an hors d'oeuvre at most. You yeah. know what I mean? He's not worth it. I think that this movie is so nice to encounter at this moment in movie technology because it's such a beautiful example of art made by human hands in a process that takes too long and is too expensive for us to see very much anymore. But I was also really heartened by how the Barbie movie relied on practical effects and painted backdrops. Mm. And it just, I don't know, I feel like it does, it's nice to have reminders that like, we don't always want something that looks real. We often want something that looks beautiful and fantastic and magical. Yeah, I think, and the animation in The Little Mermaid feels so like 
spot on. And I think it maybe was one of the last times that they like recorded a real person doing the moves. I mean, we've all seen those Mm. videos and then they like animated what that girl did. Mm. Like there's so many things Ariel does, the way she touches her hair at different points, the double takes, the way she like makes these weird faces, you know, that like feel so real. They just feel like such a, a real person. Totally. Yeah, for sure. I think also that like, The thing about this movie that is always so special to me is that, like, there is something about being a trans woman specifically where you are, like, a woman who never experienced... Sometimes you are a woman who never, like, experienced girlhood. And, you know, I think girlhood is so, like, special and sacred and... I know very few women who have gotten out of girlhood unscathed. And I like, Mm. I absolutely recognize that. But to me, it's just always something that like, I would never stop trying to protect it, you know? Mm. And to be a woman who never experienced those years, those experiences that like can't be recreated as an adult. There's something about that that like makes me feel and other trans women I've talked to, like it just sort of, makes you feel like you're not a real person, you know, like you are just sort of like forever an outsider in all the ways because of this time that you can't get back, like this girlhood that you missed. Mm -hmm. And when I watch The Little Mermaid, (laughs) I like feel like I did experience girlhood because Mm. like I was like lying about going into the city and I was like knew who I was and I like had my little collections of things and I was a total thief and I like stole things from stores and like, you know, it's just sort of like, I was so bratty and hot headed, just like Ariel and my dad was so frustrated with me at times and then he eventually came around and like, literally like paid for my bottom surgery the way that King Triton just like gives it to her. (laughs) And like, it just feels like so, it feels so refreshing to watch a movie that portrays girlhood in a way that I can really access, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I love that you have that in common. That's my favorite. (laughs) The Triton turn. I I love everything that, that you said. And I also would add to it if it's helpful that like, I would also say that the experience of girlhood is knowing that like there is no correct way to be. And if there was, you'd fuck it up anyway. And I feel like, (laughs) I don't know, hopefully that makes you feel like you've had that experience as well. Cause it feels like the essence of it is like nobody knowing what to do with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, we know that Triton is Ariel's father. He sure is. Who, Eve Lindley, in your view, is the daddy of The Little Mermaid? I think, so Scuttle and Sebastian to me are what I was saying last night, like big gunkle energy. And Mm. for anybody listening who doesn't have a gunkle or know what a gunkle is, it's a gay uncle who... Like, just an irreplaceable role in a young child's life to have. And and she is these two to me. And she is the one who's sort of, like, snooty and, like, composes music and, like, you know, is maybe, like, a little classist. And then she is the one who's, like, Scuttle, who's, like, let's go thrifting. Let's go to the, um, (laughs) let's go to the uh, flea market and, like, look at this crazy thing. And, you know, and so, like, 
they together to me are the dads. And then I guess in a way Flounder is kind of part of their group. He's like the little twink fish who helps her get onto the boat or whatever. But those three guys really are like her surrogate fathers when her father can't be a father to her. I love that. Yeah. And it takes all gun calls. Yeah. By no means is this a let's revise Ursula situation, but everyone, you know, knows that the character design was at least in part inspired by divine, which I think is phenomenal. And I just think as like, by no means a daddy in in what she's doing as a character or what she's doing in her villainy, but just as an aesthetic you want a part of or to be. Ursula is so fucking cool. Like, Ursula is mm-hmm. the coolest. And I appreciated that more than ever. Just like how great of a character she is, how amazingly she walks through situations, the mm-hmm. authority that she brings, her body language. Her body yeah. language. It's so, there's so much going on. And I had great appreciation for her, the folks who designed her, the folks who inspired her in particular. She also seems pretty horny. She seems horny as fuck. She's literally so mad because she hasn't had sex in 10 years. That's like what all of this is about. She wants to fuck Trident. Oh, yeah, that's true. Why do you think she was exiled? Because we kind of get that she used to be at the palace and now she's sort of been exiled probably by King Triton. I didn't think of this, but I guess it is kind of like a Lucifer situation. So I have to assume that she tried to lead a failed rebellion against him at some point oh maybe there was a cut line that said that they were brother and sister Mm. that she's ariel's aunt but that didn't make it into this movie i mean i buy that too i always wonder like if she was exiled and then she turned to witchcraft or if she was exiled for witchcraft or like that's the thing like i would love to see like a an ursula movie and like maybe one is even in the works and by that i mean i would love to see not the movie disney is actually going to make but something someone else would make like yes you know sofia coppola (laughs) exactly sarah who's your daddy my daddy as always is howard ashman Mm. yay the light of my life the man who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his heart, I believe. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. He really is such a daddy. Yeah, and he's he's the daddy of us all because he taught us some of the first stories and some of the first songs that a lot of us ever knew or learned by heart or kind of shaped our ideas about what our lives could be like. And above all, that means knowing that it is important for a girl to want something. Yeah. 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 I hope he got, I hope that making this film was like super cathartic for him. Cause I think it was one of his last, he died like two years later, I believe. Yeah, I think Beauty and the Beast was the last yeah. thing. Well, and then he worked on uh, Aladdin a little bit. Like literally deathbed situation for Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And then I don't know. And I always think about, you know, in terms of if you, if you think about your life as perhaps being a lot more finite than you would like to believe, then what are you doing with your finite work hours? And are you sharing the best of yourself? Yeah. So, you know, just do that. it's easy peasy and then kiss the girl you know and then kiss the girl kiss the girl is such a good song (laughs) eve thanks for bringing us under the sea oh my god my absolute pleasure um come back anytime i will be here (laughs) thank you for being a mermaid (laughs) that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me 
I'm excited to brush our hair together with our dingle hoppers <laughs> soon. <laughs> All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thanks so much to Eve Lindley for being here and uh, chatting with us about The Little Mermaid. We're so happy to have Eve here and continue our mermaid chats. Thanks to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this episode and editing this episode. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for also editing this episode. Thanks to Fresh Lush for providing the beats that make our episodes sound so sweet. Thanks to you for listening and supporting us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks for supporting us by uh, sharing episodes with people who you think would like them by leaving reviews. We really appreciate that. Apple uh, podcast is the best place for us, I guess, but there are all sorts of places to leave reviews where you listen to podcasts. Thanks uh, for supporting us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions where you also get those bonus episodes. Uh, Thanks for being you. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. All right. See y'all next week. Uh, Come see us in uh, Los Angeles. If you're around, it'll be fun. It'll be fun.